Welcome to Stories That Matter, a podcast series brought to you by Storians. We believe that the best way to communicate with anyone is to make them feel something, and that the best way to do that is through the power of stories. So in this series, we celebrate stories that matter. And in this episode, I was lucky enough to chat to the remarkable David Beanie, a man who now spends the whole of his working life helping organisations create kinder cultures. He passionately believes that with kinder cultures comes happier people, and with happier people comes better performance. But, as he reminds us in this episode, it's the brightest light that can often cast the darkest shadow. So finding ways to support each other can sometimes be the difference between life and death. One of the very many reasons to listen to this fascinating episode I hope you enjoy it. David Beanie, as I live and breathe, it is an absolute delight um, to host you on this episode of Stories That Matter, my friend. Thank you, Gary. It's a, it's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to be here. Um, I've been so looking forward to this conversation, I think, for reasons that will become obvious to, to people who listen. But I just wanted to start um, today by acknowledging that, that um, your mum passed away this week. Um, and um, obviously, my heartfelt condolences to you and your family. And But I just wanted to start by acknowledging that because um, many people would have thought well if that's happened why on earth is uh mr beanie bothering to, to to do this podcast but it's a mark uh of you as a person i think that you you made this commitment and you're going ahead with it so i i just thought i really wanted to start by just checking in with you really and asking you um how you are and maybe we'll come on to that question in a mm-hmm. in a little while in the importance of it but how are you my friend uh, gary i'm okay well I, I think i'm okay um I chose to stick with this commitment and another one yesterday um, because so much of my work is about um, sharing vulnerability and just being human. And uh, my work gives me strength and I'm going to need some real courage and strength over the coming days and weeks. And um, I think my work actually helps me with that. So um, I'm going to miss my mom terribly. We had a fantastic relationship. I was an only child and she absolutely worshipped me. And um, it's very sad. But, but I'm okay because we've got so many fabulous memories together. But thanks for asking. Yeah, pl- pleasure. And, um, you know, lots of love your way um, for, you. for, for the next uh, the next few weeks and, and beyond, obviously. Um, let's get into it. Um, you and I have known each other um, for a good while now, and we've spent a lot of time together talking about this important topic, um, one that you've committed your the rest of your life to, actually. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'm going to start with a quote that, that is a quote that I often use um, from a philosopher of 1868, a guy called Henry Thoreau, who said, most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to their graves with their songs still in them. And um, it's a quote that haunted me when I was 49 and, and, and thinking about the rest of my life. But I think it's fair to say that you haven't left your song inside you, have you? You're living, breathing. Uh, and and uh, and and giving your song to so many others um so i'd like to start really what what's the story that you tell what what's the story that you are telling people 
and and why is that story so important? I use the word story because this podcast is called Stories That Matter, and, mm. and yours is a story that matters, brilliant, you know, so so much. But yeah, what, what's the story you tell, David, and and why is it so important? Um, the story I tell Gary is that until I was fifty four years old, I I had a huge secret that I I hadn't shared with anybody. Um, not my ex-wife for 28 years, not my mates down the pub, uh, and nobody I worked with that I was um, suffering in silence with um, panic attacks and anxiety. And I, I chose to out myself back in um, May 2016. And it's changed my life, Gary. When I first shared that story, um, nothing's ever resonated with so many people and as deep as me opening up and sh- you know talking about my, my battles with mental health. But as you know, um, the surprise I got, uh, and I say surprise, um, was how many people came to me and said that um, uh, they would never feel comfortable being honest in their workplace about their mental health and because they didn't trust their employers. So as you know, I made this decision back in in the beginning of 2017, it was, that um, I was going to focus the rest of my life on trying to create cultures in workplaces um, where every employee would feel safe to be honest about their mental health. Also knowing, Gary, that this wasn't a fluffy subject either. Businesses will only optimise performance when they create a kind culture, Um, because until you do that, your best people are going to leave. More people are going to go off sick, and you'll never drive the levels of engagement and, and energy that you'll get when you create a culture where people can be themselves and be really authentic. So um, I had a pretty good career till I was 54, but I never fulfilled my true potential. And I thought my career was coming to an end. And um, and here I am seven years later. Um, and and I, I love what I do. It's so cathartic. It's so purposeful. And um, I certainly intend to keep going as long as I can. Thank you, Gary. Yeah, and keep... Uh... And keep singing that song um, for the huge variety of organisations you work with. It, it always uh, surprises me when you talk about the breadth of, of organisations that you work with. And I, I just would love to give our listeners a sense of that. I mean, you know, because I think obviously when we think about organisations, we think about, you know, the Googles and the McDonald's and the various other corporates of this world. But you work with a, a very interesting range of businesses some of which you wouldn't necessarily think about, would you, when it comes to mental health and creating kind of cultures? Maybe speak to to, to, to that for a minute or two, if you could. I'll share today some of the, the clients I work with that perhaps I don't normally talk about. Um, I, I've supported the, I'm not political, never have been, never will be, but I've been um, working with the Labour Party for a few years on on helping them to create a kind of culture within their own party. Um about a year ago, I was approached by the United Nations uh, in Bonn, in Germany, at their head office to help them to create a kind of culture uh, with, within the UN. Um, I work with, um, with with law firms. I work with um, schools. I work with the, the NHS. Um, it really is diverse. And one of the things that um, excites me again about the work that I do is the diversity of it. Now, what's interesting, Gary, is that um, many of my clients um, contact me and say, you know, do you need to know a lot about our business? And they seem to think that the the issues around the stigma of mental health 
um, maybe quite unique to their own business, but I don't have to vary my work much at all. And pre, pre the pandemic, my work was almost exclusively um, in the in the UK. But um, since the pandemic, I, I've started working, you know, in various countries um, around the world. And again, um, the stigma of mental health is a global issue. Um, I, I've delivered sessions in in virtually in China, you know, in India, uh, in Iran, um, all around the world, and I haven't found the country yet whereby they don't have the stigma of mental health. And interestingly, again, what's quite consistent around the world is that us men um, we struggle to talk about this subject. Uh, yeah, and it's uh, so it's a very common theme globally with very similar um, stuff going on all around the world on this topic. And it's an amazing array of organisations. And um, where where do you see the, the kind of overall picture right now? I mean, obviously, you have a window into many organisations and many um, teams. And how are you feeling about the work you do? And, and by that, I mean, um, do you feel we're making progress? Do you think that there's still a, a long way to go? Do you think that there are still far too many organisations and leaders paying lip service to this issue? Um, or, or do you feel like we've, you know, finally got to the point where we're beginning to to see real change? I, I think there has been some progress made and um, some businesses out there, they're certainly no longer ticking a box. They really are trying to embrace from the very top of the organisation um, a culture that's kind and they're making well-being one of their strategic priorities. But overall, Gary, there is so much more work to be done. I, I, I won't name the business, but I was about to start a presentation um, in, in London a few weeks ago. And my opening slide um, had on the slide creating kinder cultures in our workplaces. And um, I was literally about to start my presentation when I was asked to remove the word kindness from the front slide because it was seen as, as fluffy, because it was seen as like, uh, you know, we need to toughen up with our staff, not become kinder. And that was only a few weeks ago. And I'll give you another example of what stigma looks like in, in 2023. My final slide uh, when I do a presentation is my business card. And uh, I'd finished a, a workshop recently and someone in the room came up to me and said, um, David, um, do you take feedback on your work? And we all know, Gary, when someone says that, you think, uh-oh, what have I said? Who have I upset? And this person said to me, um, you should have left some business cards on the table around the room. And I said to them, look, um, I've got business cards somewhere at home tucked away in a drawer, but I haven't touched them uh, since the, the pandemic. And then I pointed at the big screen and said, look, there's a really big business card on the screen at the moment. And uh, they looked at me, Gary, and said, David, you don't understand. And I said, what don't I understand? They said, look, at the end of your session, I wanted to get my phone out and take a photograph of that slide, but I was too embarrassed to be seen to be taking down your contact details. So here we are, Gary, in 2023, I do a, you know, a workshop about we've all got to get better at talking about this subject. And there's someone in the room at the end of it who's embarrassed to be seen to be taking down my contact details. And that just yeah. reminded me how much more work we've got to do in this space. So much yeah. more work to be done. And 
Uh, yeah, and 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 listen, I, I'm sure that's absolutely right, and you know, I, I see that a great deal. I I was, I don't mind telling you a, a quick story now. I was um, I was on the phone to somebody this morning, actually, who's very important to me, and that individual, I won't name them, um, said, you know. I've been going through quite a tough time, as you know, and uh, it was World Mental Health Awareness Day recently, as you know, David. And he said, and um, I was very surprised, Gary, you haven't checked in with me recently. You know, you haven't kind of called, you haven't asked how I am, you haven't, you know. And uh, it really took me aback, actually, because um, he was right, I hadn't, and uh, I knew he'd been struggling. And I hadn't checked in with him, um, you know, in a week that, frankly, I should have been reminded to to do so. Um, and I think that spoke a little bit to, I suppose, one of the questions I've got now really for you, which is, imagine, imagine, imagine I've just told you that story, right? What advice are you giving me as an individual to make sure that I'm not making that mistake? I'm not... I'm not not checking in. Now, it might be as obvious as you say to me, well, just be more thoughtful, Gary. Thank you. you know, that would be helpful. But is there anything that, you know, I could be doing to be reminding myself all the time that it's so important to check in with people? The second is if I'm listening to this and I'm, I'm an employee and I'm in a toxic culture, I don't feel as though my well-being is looked after. I don't feel as though I'm actually being listened to what can I do and then thirdly if I'm a leader listening to this podcast and I know it's important I really understand its value but I just don't know how to begin the process what can I do and I know that's a three-parter where you're mm. having to remember the three parts which yeah. you know I'm happy yeah, to remind you about it, but, but you know what would you say to me the employee and the leader to kind of help us very specifically and very much you know um create action the first thing i'd say to all of you and and when people say to me if there's one nugget you can take away from from my work um the first thing i'd say to you is to be kinder to yourself um don't give yourself too hard a time you're not always going to be able to check in with everyone every day and people can become experts in, in in hiding things um i lost one of my best friends sue four years ago and Sue was a mother of three grown-up girls and, and uh, the life and soul of the party. And I didn't spot the signs, Gary. And I was at the time a qualified mental health counsellor and she's one of my best friends. But I've learned to become kind to myself because we're not always going to spot the signs with everybody. So firstly, be kind to yourself and don't give yourself a hard time about not checking in with your friend recently. Secondly, I am going to talk, Gary, about the power of how are you. And if anything, the power of actually asking somebody how they are twice. Um, When you say in the UK to someone, how are you? And uh, they say, fine. Um, They're not really thinking that you're asking how they are. It's almost a way of saying hello. But when you say to someone, how are you? And they say, fine. And then you say, how are you really? They're far more likely to give you an honest response. I put this into practice recently. Uh, with a client. And I'll give you two very quick stories, Gary, that that came from that. Uh, And this is about the power of asking somebody twice how they are. Um, A guy comes in to see me and I said, "How? hi, how are you? And he said, I'm good. It was my birthday yesterday. 
he sits down and I said, now, how are you really? And he went very quiet on me and said, um, my brother died on my birthday last year. Um, it's been a really tough few days, but thank you for asking. If I hadn't have asked him twice, I, I wouldn't have known his brother had died on his birthday last year. Another guy comes in to see me and he's the big personality of the department. Biggest smile, biggest voice. He comes in. I said, hi, how are you? And he said, I'm great. And he sat down and I said, now, how are you really? And he looked at me and said, um, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah, that's why I'm saying, how are you really? And forgive me language. He said, I'm shit. Absolutely shit. And he spent the next 15 minutes sharing with me how tough his life is at the moment and how he's in a very, very dark place. If I hadn't have asked him twice, I, I wouldn't have known what a dark place he was in because he had the biggest smile in the, in the department. And he told me he was great. So if I, if I gave advice to whatever level you're at in an organization, if we all tried to start more work conversations with how are you, how are you doing? Um, but it has to come from the heart. It's got to be authentic. You've got to mean it. That alone would just help transform so many cultures in so many organizations and make people feel really valued. So the power of how are you, Gareth? Yeah, it, it, it's so interesting. I, I, I was in my local coffee shop this morning and I ordered my coffee and, and uh, the person who works there who I speak to almost every day said to me, how are you? And I said, yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. And then, of course, realized that I wasn't feeling fine, actually, because like almost everybody on the planet right now, um, you know, what's going on in certain parts of the world is 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 uh, beyond horrific and beyond upsetting. And so I've I've actually felt that quite profoundly the last few days. And um, and I stopped myself and I actually said to her, well, to be honest, I'm I'm not feeling great, actually. And uh, and she said, why not? I said, well, I, you know, I, I feel like all of us do, a, a, a profound sense of sadness and um, about what's going on. And, and, of course, it began a conversation. And she said, well, it's funny you should say that. So do I. And so we sort of talked about it a little bit, you know. And, and, and so that, that happened to me literally just this morning. And it was because she hadn't asked twice. But I checked myself and thought, why are you giving that ridiculous answer, Gaz? Because that's not how you feel. You feel a profound sense of sadness about what you're what, what's going on and and actually you know what just the conversation between the two of us i think made us both feel a bit better what, what you did earlier gary you gave someone else permission to be their authentic selves too because you were authentic you know too many of us go around pretending we're superman or superwoman um mm. the moment we admit that do you know what some days i'm struggling you're giving other people permission to be okay Naturally, Gary, many people have said to me in the last couple of days, how, how, to me, how are you? Not knowing I've lost my mother. And um, of course, I haven't chosen to say back to everyone, absolutely awful. My mom died two days ago because um, you don't want to share that with everybody. But there has been the odd person. I've said, Do you know what? I'm actually, it's, it's a tough week. Um, yeah. and, and I've been honest. Um, yeah. So we do, I guess we do have to, you know, think about what we share and what we don't share at times. But Overall, yeah. we've got to get better at admitting it's okay not to be okay. Yeah, and I um, and I should say, given that this podcast is likely to be going out two or three weeks after we recorded it, that you know, obviously we're 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 meeting at a horrific time for um, you know, for the Middle East, and 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 that's really what I was talking about, you know, in terms of how one, you know, how you feel about about world events, but um, 
What about the leader, David? What about the person who's sitting in his organization, his or her, their organization, um, thinking, I really want to make progress here. I really want my business to be kinder. I want to create a kinder culture. What can they do? Still, one of the best things they can do, Gary, is to share vulnerability. It's still very difficult for senior leaders, CEOs, to um, sometimes share challenges they've had in their life. Um, As you know, Gary, I've done a lot of work with the Royal Navy, and you can imagine um, how alien it would be to a senior military figure to admit when they're having problems with their mental health. But times are changing. Uh, One particular uh, senior person in the Royal Navy, uh, when I first met him, he shared with me very privately what he referred to as his mental breakdown and the lengths that he and the Navy went to to hide from everyone what had happened. Fast forward a few years and he shared a stage with me and he shared with hundreds of sailors um, his mental breakdown. Did they suddenly see him as a weak leader? Not at all. That day, he changed the culture within the Royal Navy because he gave everyone permission to talk about their mental health. So senior leaders have to realise it's not weak to share stories like that. It actually takes real courage and it's going to inspire other people. As the lovely Jeff McDonald once said, the the um, ex-HR director of Unilever, he said to uh, the senior leaders at, at the Institute of Directors, he said, look, some of you haven't got your own mental health story. I get that. He said, but it will have touched your life somewhere. So if you haven't got your own story, talk about your next door neighbor or your best friend or your cousin. Um, At least talk about mental health, because when you talk about that topic, um, you're giving other people permission to talk about it, too. And, And there's no doubt, Gary, I have seen it so evidence based that when we talk more um, about mental health and well-being in workplaces, more people don't go off sick, which is the fear of some people. You're not opening yeah. a can of worms. What you're yeah. doing is you're going to get a, a more energised, authentic workforce that are going to work with higher energy levels, who are going to be more committed to the cause and more prepared to go the extra mile. This is not a fluffy subject. This is yeah. the only way to optimise performance of your people in a workplace. And, and hence your business, Breaking the Silence, really, it, it, it spends its entire life, doesn't it, trying to encourage people to break that silence and to open up and to talk more. And, and I was very struck, you know, last week, um, you know, Mental Health Awareness Day. Um, as you know, I have a particular point of view about that. I, I'd rather it was called Mental Health Action Day, frankly. Yeah. Um, I, I think everybody's aware that's an issue now. We've got to find action and, and, and create action around it. But, you know, I was very, very struck at the number of people that were willing to share, for example, Norwich City's brilliant quite extraordinary film. I'm brilliant. And for those of for those of you who haven't seen it, um, please do Google, you know, Norwich City Mental Health Awareness Day film. Just brilliant actually. Uh, and so powerfully made the point that the brightest light, and I think this is one of Jeff's, isn't it? You know, the brightest light often casts the darkest shadow. And mm. I think that's part of the problem, isn't it? That it's often the people that you least expect to be really struggling who who sometimes are. Yeah, Gary, I get because of what I do, I get called out to employers about twice a year on average where a member of staff has taken their own life. On almost every occasion in the last six, seven years, 
the person at work who's taken their own life is not the quiet person that sits in the corner looking sad. It's the, it's the person at work who makes you laugh every day. It's often the larger the life characters, the more creative people, the quirkier people who are hiding poor mental health. Now, the problem yeah. we have, it, it could be the sad guy in the corner who is, is struggling. We just don't know. Um, but we've, we've just got to get better at checking in with everyone. We've just got yeah. to get better at not assuming because someone's laughing and joking that they're in a great place because you just yeah. don't know. Yeah. And uh, in many of the conversations that we've had and, 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 and many of the times that we've talked about your work, you, you've talked about some things that I just want to touch on now because I want to make sure that people who listen to this podcast hear these things because they're, they're so powerful. Uh, and, and, and I use at least one of them a week, I think. Always credited to you, but at least one of them. And, and the first one I just want to talk about is, and you touched on it at the very beginning, but I just want to frame it, um, you, you know, f f for this conversation. You talk very much about making sure that you put your own life jacket, your own life vest on first. Wonderful phrase, wonderful expression, and very meaningful. Just talk about that for a minute or two, if you could, this notion of putting your life jacket on first. It's all about having me time, Gary, and people have struggled more in recent years to get the balance in life right between their careers, their, their families, and doing things for themselves. Um, the most important person in the world to love is it, not your mother, um, it's not your partner, it's not your kids, it's not your dog, it's yourself. And, and the more we love ourselves, the irony is the better person we become to everybody around us. Um, I, I, through my work, I meet so many incredibly kind, caring human beings, but very often there's one person they're not particularly good at caring for, and it's themselves. Now, if you're one of those people listening to this podcast that spends your life running around after everyone else but not doing enough for you, you've got to do more for yourself because self-care is not selfish. You've got to put your own oxygen mask on first. Thank you, Gary. And, and that's self-care, David. I mean, I know you work hard at this and you've even gone to this you know you've even gone to the lengths of, of separating out various elements of your life that you literally judge and assess and and mm. mark don't you you know yes. you give marks to how you're feeling about your physical health and your relationships and just talk about some of those I mean what, what are the things that you judge in your own self-care program yeah, I, when I was in a very bad place a number of years ago, I was going through my divorce. I was um, my career was in in, in tatters in in media, and I sat down one day and I was very pragmatic and I thought, what are the different components of my life that make up my happiness? And I I came up with six things, and, and those six things was um, my main relationship in life, my my family, my sense of purpose, my financial well being my physical health and my mental health, because I realized if any of those six things were not in a good place, it would affect my mental health. It would drag me down. It, it would stop me sleeping at night. So these days, um, I still give each of those six things a score out of 10. And whichever one is the lowest is the one I focus on, because nobody knows ourselves like ourselves. Um, we, we have to work on our, ourselves. Um, and we have to reflect about our own mental health. And people so often say to me, what is your mental health? What is it? We get too hung up on definitions, Gary. It's how happy are you really with your life? How energized do you feel? How excited are you about the next, next year? 
Um, yeah. And it's a case of sitting down and being honest about your life and uh, where you can owning it and thinking, right, where can I make improvements? Now, some people listening to this podcast will think, well, that sounds great, David, but I'm in such a bad place. I'm so demotivated. I'm so flat. I can't grab hold of this. And that's when you need to talk to a professional. That's when you need to seek help because um, yeah. sometimes you're not in, in a good enough place to even think about that. Thanks, Gary. Yeah. Um, pleasure. And, and it's true, isn't it, that that intentional process of literally marking, you know, marking those things out and then physically giving them a mark, you know, mm-hmm. it, 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 yeah, it certainly, certainly focuses the mind, I think. Um, one of the other things I wanted to touch on um, is your great phrase, one in one. One in one. I, I, I like talking about this because I think it's a great reminder to all of us in a way that, the, that, that there's a very um, fundamental aspect to well-being and mental health that people forget. Um, and, and, and so maybe just if you could, uh, I know I'm leading the witness somewhat on this podcast, but I, I just want to make sure that we're um, bringing out of you all of the brilliant things that I, I know you talk about in your sessions. But one in one, talk to us about that for a moment. Let, let, yeah, let me let me talk about this, and let me start by saying um, my favourite mental health charity is Mind. I've been a trustee for Mind; they do brilliant work. If, if anyone out there is listening from Mind, I think you're fabulous, and you're probably the best mental health charity there is. However, um, all the leading mental health charities, the most commonly used statistic in the UK when they talk about mental health, is one in four. It's a personal view, but I think statistics like one in four fuel stigma. Now, I'm on a mission to normalize mental health, to make us talk about it in the same way we talk about physical health. When we, when we think about one in four, we picture four people together and we think, I wonder which one of those four is the one. I think it makes it more difficult for the one to speak up because they're different to the other three. And we're saying to 75% of the population, this topic's got nothing to do with you. You're okay. As I say, I'm trying to normalize this subject. And if we're going to make it easier for people to talk about it, we need to change mindset, existing mindset. And I think one of the ways to do that is to accept it's not one in four, it's one in one. Everybody listening to this podcast has health, both physical and mental. Some days your physical health can be better. Some days your mental health can be better. We've all experienced poor mental health in every year. Um, you know, days when you're, you know, you, you've struggled to sleep last night, days when you're trying to focus, but you can't because you're worried about the kids or the parents uh, or, or stuff going on at work or money. Um, we all experience mental health. And if we can start accepting that, I think it's going to make it easier for all of us to talk about this subject. Now, one of the ironies, Gary, as you know, is I spend my life saying we've got to get better at talking about mental health. But I think the word mental has become part of the stigma. We don't mm. like that word. We associate yeah. it with people with their heads in their hands and doom and gloom. If we start talking more about healthier minds um, and we drop this word mental, I think we'll get a lot more engagement on this topic. So yeah. let me just say finally, Gary, when I talk about one in one and say everyone's got mental health, I'm not trying to worry people. It's the opposite. I, I, my aspiration that it won't happen in my lifetime wouldn't it be amazing if we could talk about mental health in the same way we talk about physical health? Because at the moment, they're poles apart. And as we yeah. said earlier, there's still a lot more work to be done in this space. Yeah. 
and and I and I like as you know we've talked about it a lot. I, I like that notion of changing the language um, around. You know, even if you even if you were to keep the 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 the, the word mental, again, just aligning that to the phrase fitness, mm. right? Uh, just helps a little bit, but actually, healthier minds is is much better. Um, you know, and, and and much more much more powerful. Um, I just want to come on and talk a little bit about your your the, the seven eight years um, that that you've been, um, you know, brilliantly brilliantly bringing this issue to the fore alongside um, fantastic people like Jeff McDonald, um, who you cited earlier, and I think probably between the two of you, you are. Um, you know, you're 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 you're, you're building a, a, an amazing kind of crusade um, around this issue. Um, as you reflect on the last seven or eight years, do, do you look back and and uh, 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 and think about some of the mistakes you think you've made along the way, and some of the ways in which you've learned yourself that that there are there are things that you you could and should be doing to to help this cause um you know from your own experience did do you have any reflections on the last seven years in that regard yeah the, the biggest mistake i made gary was in the early days i thought it was enough to tell my own story i thought if i just go into organizations and i tell my 36 years of suffering in silence that it would inspire people to open up and talk about their mental health but it goes back to culture, Gary, because if you were working for a, a business or an organization where you didn't feel safe to put your hand up and, and admit you're struggling with your mental health, then nothing was going to change. I, I, I started working with some organizations who had world class resource available for their staff. They had the most amazing um, EAPs, you know, these employee assistance programs. Mm, yeah. They uh, trained up, a, you know, teams of mental health first aiders. They fabulous resource, but the one thing they hadn't addressed was their culture. And they, 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 they hadn't realized that if you don't change the culture, then you can have all this resource, but no one's going to put their hand up and say they need help. So in, in recent years, my work has been so much more focused on creating kinder cultures as opposed to just me sharing my own uh, mental health story. Um, yeah. And it's helping businesses to realize what that needs to look like. I, w- I won't name them, uh, a very leading travel company. I was at a very senior meeting uh, with them and uh, they started trying to assess um, what their culture was. And someone was very brave in the room and said, um, you know, our culture is not great. It's almost like um, if you don't want to be on the bus, get off the bus. Um, it's very much um, this would be a different, very difficult organization for someone to admit that they're struggling with depression or anxiety. And then the person bravely said, and uh, by the way, everyone, where do you think culture comes from? It comes from this table here today. Yeah. Everyone sitting around this table here today, we're the people who need to change more than anybody else in the organization if we're going to change our culture. We need to role model uh, what it looks like to put your well-being first and put your oxygen mask on first. And um, so the biggest learning overall, Gary, is that this isn't about mental health first aiders. This isn't about EAPs. This is about training every manager in every business what kindness looks like at work and senior people absolutely realizing they have to role model this and evidence base it at the very top that well-being is a, is a real strategic priority. 
Thanks. Yeah. And um, one of the very best definitions of culture I, I, I think I've ever heard is, you know, the way people behave when no one's looking, mm. you mm. know, and, and I think that speaks to the very thing that you, you've talked about. Um, as we come to the end of this podcast, I just want to touch on, on two, two more things, one of which is much more serious than the other, actually, because I'd like to end on a lighthearted note, if we could. Um, there is a view that the next pandemic that we are going to face um, globally is, is not a physical one, actually, but is a mental one. And that the next pandemic that we should all be worrying about, actually, lies in how we all are as people and how we're all feeling. And, and the mental health pandemic, epidemic, that many people predict is now upon us and is only going to get worse. Do, do you share that? Do you feel that that's something that we should be taking as seriously as, 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 as it suggests? And does that speak really ultimately to the incredible importance of the work that you do in trying to build and create kinder cultures? Gary, sadly, I think we're in the eye of the storm now when it comes to mental health. People often, you know, they say the, the COVID pandemic is over. It may be over in that sense, but the mental health hangover of the pandemic is still very much with us. Speaking today as a mental health counsellor, um, there's still many, many people struggling um, with the, as I say, the fallout of, of, of COVID. We've got a global cost of living crisis that is really impacting so many people across the world. We've got more and more young people worried about the future of the planet. You know, every single week on the news, we're seeing sort of floods and storms that we've never seen before and temperatures around the world. And people are generally worried about not 200 years time, Gary, they're worried about 20, 30 years time now. And you touched on it earlier, Gary, the world is in a really worrying place in terms of conflict at the moment with some very serious wars around the world threatening to spread. So people are really, really struggling at the moment. So it goes back again to what I was saying just now. It's never been so important, firstly, to think about self-care, to make sure we're doing the basics of getting good sleep, getting regular exercise and, and sharing with each other how we're really feeling. And equally for employers and, and all of us, it's never been so important to check in with each other more and, and to share how we're really feeling and, and to, to ask people how they are more regularly than we may have done in the past and accept it's OK not to be OK. Um, so sadly, Gary, you're right. These are very, very worrying times for people's mental health. So there's so much more work to be done in this space to encourage people to share their vulnerabilities. And, and as I, I'll use that phrase again. We've all got to accept it's okay not to be okay. Thanks, Gary. Yeah, thanks, David. And um, listen, as you know, I, I, I've said this to you both publicly and privately. I, um, I admire you so much and I admire the work you do um, hugely. Um, you're making a massive difference to people. Um, what you talk about truly matters. The stories you tell are both fantastic, but they matter as well. And um, long may the work you do continue, my friend, because mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I fear that we're going to need it even more over the coming years. And um, I, I think it is uh, incredible that you've committed the rest of your life to it. And um, uh, it's been wonderful as ever talking to you. Um, 
But I wanted, if I could, just to end on a, a slightly more playful note, which is, is there any truth in the rumour that the reason you support Watford is that it's, if you like, the ultimate gymnasium for testing your ability to maintain your own mental health or not? <laughs> Coming from a Chelsea fan, Gary, um, <laughs> I think that is completely uh, uh, very, very cheeky of you because Watford to the Championship are what Chelsea are to the, the, the Premiership. Um, Watford has taken me uh, through so many emotions over the years. But as you know, on a lighter note, following Watford is actually really good for my mental health because it, it yeah. helps me escape the, the things that really matter in life. And um, so... Um, yeah, I, I will be a Watford fan for the rest of my life. I know you'll be a Chelsea fan for the rest of your life. And both clubs are going to take us through incredible ups and downs. But in reality, it's it's only football. It's exactly. Despite what Bill Shankly once said, um, it's only football. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Gary. <laughs> thank yeah, you yeah. Very much. I, could, I couldn't agree more. And here's for uh, here's wishing much success and luck to both of our teams over the, the coming season or two. Um, David, absolutely brilliant to chat. Um, thank you so much and um, speak soon.